Hello, I'm Paulette Lee, and you're listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. If you're over 60, you're still worthy of being heard. I was talking to a friend on the phone recently. Uh, She's 75, the same age as I am. And she said once her husband finally retires, he's a bit younger, uh, there's a lot they want to do because, in her words, we're both very creative. Another friend who crochets sent me pictures of very original and intricate crocheted patterns and items. She wasn't going to make them, she said, but she was awed by the possibility of creativity in that handicraft. So those two conversations or incidents got me thinking, what do people mean when they speak of creativity? It's obviously spoken of as a good thing, but am I creative? Are you? What if you don't think you are? Does it come naturally or can it be learned? Is it important to be creative? And at our ages, Doesn't all the research show that we lose the creativity we had in childhood once we are persuaded or forced to color inside the lines? Okay, I know former President George W. Bush is my age and he started painting in 2012 when he was 65. I know Grandma Moses started painting at 77 and was still at it when she was 100. Actress Jessica Tandy won the Oscar at 81. The Delaney sisters were in their hundreds when they wrote their best-selling book, Having Our Say. It became a Broadway hit, and then they went on to publish a sequel. But aren't these people uh, special precisely because they're unusual? Precisely because they've defied the limitations brought on by age? Well, actually, no, they're not that special, but I'll come back to that. Okay, first I'd like to introduce you to some older women who do consider themselves creative. Susanna is 72. She researches, writes, and publishes on the history of a very specific region in the South, and she's had a lifelong love affair with photography. Looking at creativity from the arts perspective, she describes herself as the epitome of creativity, that it's, quote, in my genes, unquote, because her father was an artist and violinist and her mother was a ballet dancer. And actually, I was amazed to hear that because, interestingly, my birth father was also a violinist. I think he also dabbled in painting. And my mother was also a ballet dancer. However, I'm neither musical nor ever was a particularly good dancer, so I'm not so sure about those genes. Tina, uh, 76, is a painter, and she's always been doing her art, ever since she was quite young, but she's not concerned with genetics. She says, just go for it. If you love it, do it. Most people will be pretty damn good at it. Here's an aside. That's what Laura Bush said about her husband. He apparently wasn't interested in art and couldn't paint at all. And then when he retired and kept at it, she says, he became quite good at it. Tina urges, take classes, uh, learn, find support, enjoy it. Okay, Tina, I've done all that with my painting and I have developed passable skills, but I don't think I'm a creative painter. Nothing comes out of my head. And Marjorie, 72, uh, who was a professional direct mail copywriter. She has no qualms about calling it junk mail. Uh, She's been active in community theater for more than 40 years. 
She wrote her first play in 1981 and since then has written many more, several of which have been produced in non-professional theater. She says she wants a life in theater and, because of her age, has found it more difficult to be cast in roles or selected to direct. Furthermore, Marge has developed a fascination for playwriting. I can be in complete control, she says, not of whether my play will be produced, but of the topic, the story, and the characters. Okay, Marge, I've also been in non-professional theater for decades and written a few plays, but I don't have the same passion for playwriting as you do. So, are these three women creative because of what they produce or how they approach what they produce? I'm going to say it's both, but that first comes the approach and then the making, and it's the approach that's more important. Most of the definitions you'll find on creativity, from the dictionary to social scientists who actually study this topic. In fact, there are now college degrees you can get in creativity. Well, they say it has nothing to do whatsoever with painting, writing, choreography, music composition, architecture, or any of the creative arts as we know them. Rather, they say, creativity is a way of thinking and being. Terms that they use, for example, are problem-solving ability, novel products or outcomes, being open to new ideas and approaches, seeking an original solution to a problem or challenge, experimenting with new ideas. As for what this has to do with the myth that getting older means becoming less creative, in their often cited 2007 article on creativity in older adults, a plethora of possibilities, authors Flood and Phillips note that, quote, many older adults might not describe themselves as creative and would be reluctant to engage in typical creative endeavors such as painting or drawing, but later life may afford more time for reflection and creative pursuits aimed at construction of one's life story. Hmm. Is that all we're creating when we get older is our life story? In her book, Getting Older, Getting Better, Pamela Blair, who describes herself as a holistic psychotherapist, whatever that is, says, quote, for a variety of reasons, many women don't discover their potential until they grow older. Rather than old age being a time of constriction, it can be a time of serious expansion and liberation. Many older women are discovering their uniqueness and begin to get a much larger vision of what gives meaning and value to their lives. Yeah, she may be a holistic psychotherapist, but I like her definition a little bit better. Photographer Susanna says with age, she has gained patience, though she admits to facing challenges every day. Quote, some creative endeavors are easier than others. Sometimes the idea is there, but the execution of the idea is far more difficult or beyond my own abilities. That's when I call in support from someone who is better and more proficient than I am to help me finish the job. Linda Nayman, or Nyman, I don't know how she pronounces it, is the founder of an organizational consulting business she calls Creativity at Work. She uses a Venn diagram to show that creativity occurs at the intersection of expertise, technical and intellectual knowledge, creative thinking, skills, flexibility, and imagination, and motivation, what you get for yourself, what you get from others. 
Creativity, she writes, is a skill that can be developed and a process that can be managed. Creativity begins with a foundation of knowledge, learning a discipline, and mastering a way of thinking. We learn to be creative by experimenting, exploring, questioning assumptions, using imagination, and synthesizing information. In the 1950s, Louis R. Mobley realized that IBM's success depended on teaching executives to think creatively rather than teaching them how to read financial reports. As a result, the IBM Executive School was built around six insights, and they're really, I think, very, very interesting and, and right on. Number one, traditional teaching methods, reading, lecturing, testing, and memorization are counterproductive. Mobley realized that asking radically different questions in a nonlinear way is the key to creativity. Number two, upend existing assumptions. Get out of your comfort zone in order to give birth to creativity. Three, be creative. Don't always go for the obvious. Four, hang around with creative people, even if you feel inferior to them. Playwright Marge absolutely found that to be true. She became active in her local chapter of the Dramatist Skills and found that helped her become more social, especially during COVID, because she could connect with people from far away online, and that helped her develop her craft. Mobley's fifth principle was that creative is a creativity rather is highly correlated with self-knowledge. We can't overcome biases or stretch our imaginations if we don't know what's blocking us. And finally, Perhaps most importantly, number six is give yourself permission to be wrong. Fail, make mistakes. Susanna says her father taught her there is never a bad painting, never a failure, because you learn something every single time you pick up the brush. In the first episode of his videotaped course on creativity, and this is in the Great Courses program, available through your local library's video channels such as Hoopla or Canopy, Gerard Puccio, who was chairman of the Center for Studies in Creativity at SUNY's Buffalo State College, also uses three circles to explain how to learn creativity. In other words, how to think outside the box. But his circles are concentric, not in an interlocking Venn diagram. So the inner circle he calls our comfort zone. The next one out is our learning zone. That's a little less comfortable, but it can also be exciting because you're learning something new. And then the third circle on the outside is what he calls our panic zone, where it is all scary and no, I don't want to, I can't go there, forget about it. His recommendation for moving from panic to comfort is all about overcoming fear by trying it, repeating it, failing at it, and having a coach or mentor provide feedback. Teresa Amabile is a Harvard School of Business academic who does a lot of research into creativity. Now, I couldn't understand her paper, Component Componential theory of creativity, I guess it's the components in the theory of creativity. Okay, so I couldn't understand the paper, but I do know that she identifies three overlapping attitudes for producing creativity, and I thought these uh, were uh, pretty cogent. She calls them domain, mastery of relevant skills, 
challenging the domain, okay, we know what that is, and motivation, which he says is comprised of play, passion, and purpose. Now, the thing about play that interests me is I was living and working in uh, Rwanda in 2007, I think it was. So this was 13 years after the genocide, and I was amazed to see that how little creativity there was. There was no theater, there was no dance that went beyond the traditional um, ceremonial dances, there was uh, no art, although it was just starting. And so I started having conversations with the few people who were doing art. And um, one of them said that the reason there was so little creativity in this society, the uh, genocide notwithstanding, was that play was never valued. There were no playgrounds in schools or in parks. There were no parks. Uh, play, it was always about work. And that has always stuck with me about how important the concept of play is in leading toward creativity. And it's why it seems I consider myself creative in some areas, but not in others. So I'm, I'm creative in the areas in which I have skills, yes, but also in which I risk being inventive, that I enjoy, for which I have a passion, and that offers some purpose, such as solving a problem, creating a different emotional state, influencing others, keeping my mind active, and so forth. It's not about making something. It's about opening the window of appreciation and creating possibilities. You're probably familiar with the line, when I am an old woman, I shall wear purple, an homage to nonconformity or living creatively in our older years. It said this is also the inspiration for the International Older Women's Organization, the Red Hat Society. But have you heard the whole poem? And do you know its story? Okay, first the poem and then some surprises. It's called Warning and it's by Jenny Joseph. When I am an old woman, I shall wear purple with a red hat which doesn't go and doesn't suit me. And I shall spend my pension on brandy and summer gloves and satin sandals and say, oh, we've no money for butter. I shall sit down on the pavement when I'm tired and gobble up samples in shops and press alarm bells and run my stick along the public railings and make up for the sobriety of my youth. I shall go out in my slippers in the rain and pick the flowers in other people's gardens and learn to spit. You can wear terrible shirts and grow more fat and eat three pounds of sausages at a go or only bread and pickle for a week and hoard pens and pencils and beer mats and things in boxes. Ah, but now we must have clothes that keep us dry and pay our rent and not swear in the street and set a good example for the children. We must have friends to dinner and read the papers, but, but maybe I ought to practice a little now so people who know me are not too shocked and surprised when suddenly I am old and start to wear purple. Jenny Joseph was born in 1923. She was a prolific British writer. She wrote this poem in 1952 when she was only 29. She went on to compile three more books of poetry, though, after the age of 69. She died at 91.
And two, here are two other surprises. She actually hated the color purple and never endorsed the Red Hat Society. Thank you for joining me today, and I uh, hope you'll join me next week uh, for my episode on scams. Who does them? Is it only men? And why? And why are women over 60 uh, such an easy bait? And what can we do about them? Meanwhile, I hope you have a great week. You have been listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. Tune in wherever you receive your podcasts with new episodes every Monday morning. You can leave your comments by downloading the Podbean app to your device and on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. I'm Paulette Lee. I hope you found this program worthy of your time.